0: The following program is sponsored by the friends and partners of Time of Grace.
1: Let's start out with a little relaxed thing. How many of you are Bill Murray fans, Bill Murray movies? Go ahead. It's, it's not a shameful thing. It's not, <laughs> I'm not going to embarrass you. Okay, there's, a, there's about, a, about a quarter of you. A national magazine did a poll a couple of years ago asking people to rank their most favorite Bill Murray movies. Coming in fourth place, his military comedy, Stripes. Ah! Even those of you who aren't fans know that answers. Coming in third place, and there's going to be some grumbling about this, Caddyshack. Ooh, I thought so. <laughs> there's a lot of Caddyshack fans, mostly male. often. W- Will not admit it publicly, but they have memorized long swatches of the dialogue from Caddyshack. Uh, also, possibly Rodney Dangerfield's uh, greatest work, uh, work of art ever. Coming in second place, boom, 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 boom. who are you going to call? <laughs> Ghostbusters. Yeah, a lot, a lot of fans. In fact, so many fans that had actually had a sequel, and a lot of people remember Bill Murray as Dr. Venkman, who was the uh, paranormal specialist. But at the top, by a clear margin, uh, Caddyshack lovers, don't argue with me. The math is the math. I can't help the math. Coming at the top, Groundhog Day. Yeah, yeah, everybody's going, yeah, okay, I get it. Yeah, okay, Groundhog Day. It had a brilliant plot, nothing else like it in movie history. Why does that concept so resonate with people? I'll tell you why. I know exactly why. We all love the fantasy of being able to clean ourselves up. Another reason I think that this movie has such resonance, there are more people, according to not, not one but two or three major polls that I was able to dig up. More people in the U.S. believe in reincarnation than believe in the bodily, physical resurrection of Jesus Christ or believe in your own bodily, physical resurrection. Is that not a kick in the head? What? True. In fact, I have a hunch more people believe in the, uh, the possibilities of zombies, of voodoo, than actually believe in a physical resurrection. It's cool to be a skeptic and say, who says? There's nothing wrong with having a questioning attitude. Nothing wrong at all. Who says? How do you know this? But I'll tell you what, you have repeated words over and over depending on how long you have been saying the Apostles' Creed. You have been saying for quite a while that Jesus rose from the dead and you've also been saying for quite a while that you believe in the resurrection of the body. Who says? The Bible says. So here's a challenge to you since it cannot be scientifically verified. We do not have people who have beaten death and risen again still walking the earth among us. This is a promise that God has made but who says the Word of God says? And Jesus himself invested the Word of resurrection with the power to believe and believing in Christ will raise your mortal body. When you think about it, Everything in the Apostles' Creed, those uh, depends on how you slice and dice it up, but roughly twelve propositional statements, every one has nothing to do with you, meaning what you have done or what pressure is on you to perform. A lot of people who are skeptics and agnostics and atheists uh, and, and just push back against the Christian message, all they're hearing are Christians Who are interested in putting rules on other people. Like, you got to clean yourself up first and then God will like you. And they lay out, uh, they select passages from Scripture that talk about obedience and performance and say, here's what Christianity is all about. Here's what you must do. And all that that does is, first of all, if, if you're not in love with God and if his word is not a personal love letter from him to you, then all it sounds like is, the rules of your cult. You're just putting the rules of your cult on me. No wonder so many people push back. No wonder the millennials are setting records for the most atheists and agnostics among them. No wonder because all Christianity sounds to them as like a bunch of rules. For times like that, when you're talking with somebody with that mindset, here's what you do, just Take a pleasant stroll with them through the Apostles' Creed. One absolutely, outrageously impossible miracle after another. But it's not focused on what you must do for God. Our lives back to God are nothing but a response. They're important but of secondary importance to what God first has done for you and me. And that's where our message always needs to start and finish. It needs to be about God and what he's up to. And when people realize how immense his love is, how brilliant his mind is, how all-sweeping and powerful his sovereign might is, they might be more inclined to say, how can I fit in to his world rather than I'm not sure if I'm going to let that deity into my world and they'll let go of the control which actually they never had anyway in the first place. I believe in the resurrection of the body, the forgiveness of sins, those two things are put together for a reason because both of them are made possible by the resurrection of the body of Jesus Christ. This is good news for God's people. This is what it's all about but the key is the resurrection for if Christ had died but died not innocent and pure but died stained and dirty like us, howling curses at his tormentors, hating, resenting, planning, plotting revenge, he would have been just like us and his death would have been just one more meaningless death because he did it all. His resurrection now guarantees everything else. You want to share what's important about your faith with somebody, share that. His incredible Easter gift Here is just one story of Scripture that shows us that the resurrection of the body is not an interesting theory. It is a reality that guarantees our own. You know, all the people who say, well, you know, three-quarters of Americans believe in life after death but if only, you know, maybe 25 to 30 percent of them believe in the resurrection of the body, what honestly do they think heaven's going to be like? If they're assuming they think that they will qualify in some way. What do they think it's going to be like? Just floating around uh, a spirit or a ghost, you know, going to choir practice for eight billion, million, trillion years? Do they imagine a sort of a, like you become like Tron, you become, you're, you become part of a computer game and you become a, a virtual person? You become a, you know, just an image? You, what do they think is going to happen? They have no idea. People just have not heard the message, they've not paid attention, and they are not yet willing to let go of control and allow God to tell them about his reality. And before I sound too harsh about that, let me just say I'd be the same way if the Lord had not personally given to me the gift of faith that goes beyond my own reason and willingness to argue with God about how it ought to be. Because I'd be just like our friend Thomas. I want to just share Thomas' story with you today. I think most of you know it. A lucky few of you don't and you're going to get to hear this for the first time. It is a wow story. And even if you've heard it many times before, I hope you rewow with me today. Because Thomas was a skeptic, just like you and I. We don't swallow everything down. We get barraged with so much advertising, we don't believe stuff when it comes to us. I hardly even pick up the phone anymore because I'm sick of the robocalls and the telemarketing. You've got to work pretty hard to get past my barriers so I stay sane. And you're the same way. You have your own ways of keeping the barrage because you know that a lot of advertising is just gas. It's lies and bloviating and you have sales resistance. You're skeptical about products that say they're the best and the greatest ever. You say, yeah, right, and you roll your eyes. Well, Thomas heard about the Easter miracle and he wasn't there. Scripture doesn't think we need to know where he was. Like, where were you, dude? How did you miss all the cool stuff? How how are you the only one to have missed out? Judas, of course, was now dead but the other eleven all were there but him so it's really the ten of them got to see Jesus on Easter Sunday evening plus a couple others got their own private appearances. Mary Magdalene first. And Thomas heard from them, heard from them all, one after the other, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten different disciples told him Jesus is alive in his body. He talked with us. We saw him. Jesus had not spared careful predictions of what was going to be happening. He had predicted his physical resurrection numerous times to them. So Thomas was blowing off two critically important information sources, the words of the eyewitnesses and the words of Christ himself and that wasn't enough and he thought he was being pretty shrewd and smart about it. I'm no sucker. I got to see it. I'm a scientist. Here's his story from John, chapter 20. Thomas called Didymus, uh, that's the Greek word for twin, which might explain a little of his skepticism, you know, if he was a identical twin, he might have had a lot of fun over the years playing games with friends, you know, pretending to be each other. That's been a, a gag that identical twins have fun once in a while playing on people. He maybe knew how easy it was to have mistaken identity, right? So he said, um, "I don't, I don't, I don't believe that." When they said they'd seen the Lord, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side." You know, where the spear had jabbed? I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, "'Peace be with you.'" What a great thing to say. You know, in, uh, all, in all of Holy Week and especially that tense, Upper room meeting where he gave them the Lord's Supper, nobody was feeling much peace. Even Jesus, his heart was restless. He was anxious, very anxious. His sweat and prayer in the garden of Gethsemane, his time of rest, there was no peace that weekend. Now there's peace because he is able to give people what they could never earn. I don't care how many times you go through a Groundhog Day and get to have a do-over in your life, you could never fix all the messes you've made. Uh, The fact is, Bill Murray, even while he was practicing, did a thousand more sins and abused and took advantage of many people. Stole their money, preyed on women and did all kinds of bad stuff. All his efforts to be nice could not have erased even one of those predatory things that he had been doing. And you could have, um, you could have a hundred years worth of February seconds and try to work on cleaning yourself up and you'd never get there clean enough To be able to walk into heaven on your own. Jesus said, Peace be with you. He gives us the approval that we need from our God. He said to Thomas, Okay, Mr. Doubter, put your finger here. See my hands. It's the one thing in his body Jesus didn't have arranged to have fixed. He got all his blood back um, you know, when you go for an oil change, you might be a quart short and sometimes they, like, top you off. Think of how much blood Jesus had lost. He got refilled. He was good. He got, you know, all those horrible gashes in his face where they'd been smashing him and, and, and hitting his face and driving the crown of thorns. And those were repaired. But he kept the holes in his hands and in his feet. I bet he's still got them and he's going to let you see them someday. Right now you can peek at him through the eyes of your faith in the promise of the Scripture. He said, check it out, put your finger here, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Go ahead, come on, come on, Thomas, stop doubting and believe. That poor guy, he became a great apostle like all the rest. He's not known as Missionary Thomas, he's not known as Fearless Confessor. The guy, for the rest of his life, is stuck with that horrible name. It's like crabby Martha, you know, up in our window. (laughs) Martha uttered one of the most phenomenal statements of confidence in the power of the resurrection in all of Scripture but do we call her believing Martha, faithful Martha, trusting Martha? No, she's just the crabby one who barked at her sister to get in the kitchen and help her. Can somebody help me here? Quit that, quit wasting your time. Bible study and get in here and help me." That's all, that's what we think of over and over and over. She's stuck with it and she'll be laughing about it with us in heaven. Thomas's name tag will probably say, Thomas, yes, that one, the doubter. It'll, (laughs) he's probably just going to have to laugh and admit it, that was me, yes. But you know, that's me, too, because I have my own doubts and fears. Sometimes my strong faith is weak as gravel. And I'm not strong like a rock. I'm just like a pile of sand. Sometimes God says things that I have trouble swallowing down. I get, I get him. I know why he talked like that and he, I'm sure, for the rest of his life was ashamed of it. I'm a denier like Peter too, for that matter, and a persecutor of Christ like Paul as well. In fact, all of the great heroes of faith Are illustrated in the pages of Scripture with some painful weaknesses as well. Let's admit it, they're like us. Sinful weaknesses but our strength does not come from within ourselves. It comes from our trusting in God's amazing promises. So Thomas had a, as we say, a come-to-Jesus moment. So he did. My Lord and my God. So you are the one with authority over me. Command me and you are my God. You're my maker and my savior." And he believed it. And there's peace between us. That's amazing. Jesus gave him a little scolding to remember. Because you've seen me, you believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thomas was going to be commissioned to take the message of the resurrection to the farthest corners of the earth. Uh, This There's no way to prove this, but uh, church legend has it that he was sent eastward. In fact, uh, Christians in India are absolutely confident that Thomas made it all the way to the Indus River. That was his destiny. And he was going to have to proclaim a resurrected Lord that they could not see, something he was not willing to do, to believe the words of Christ and to believe the words of the eyewitnesses. But now he was ready and he learned his lesson. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. But these are written and John now looks up from his, with his pen as he's writing, these are written that you, he looks right at you, he jumps out of his narration and is looking at his future readers so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. The life transformational changes you will make as this dawns on you, as the power of God comes within you, as faith transforms the way you look at your life, as you stop worshiping yourself and start worshiping God, the things that God asks of you in the way in which you live will seem like a joy. Those come after, not before. Just like the pear tree I used to have in our backyard when we used to live on 67th Street, that pear tree uh, was a pear machine. Uh, I, I, you know, it's either you got nothing or too many. It just wouldn't stop. Uh, We'd eat as many as we could, gave away as many as we could, and you know the rest. You know what I do with the rest of them? uh, Mulch them. (laughs) Couldn't stop it. Why did that tree bear pears? In order to become a pear tree? Nope. Why? Because it is a pear tree. That's what pear trees do. Your life as a Christian is not what you do in order to become a Christian, in order to be justified, in order to obtain your own righteousness, in order to clean yourself up like Bill Murray by over and over tuning yourself up by getting smarter and better and kinder and gentler over the years. You live that way and seek the Lord's counsel in how to make decisions in your life because you are grateful for grace and because he has died and risen again to give you peace. Peace with God. The resurrection of the body of Jesus Christ guarantees the favor of God. Touch me and see. Peace be unto you. Peace is yours. It guarantees the forgiveness of all of your sins, something you could never do by yourself and it guarantees that when the trumpet goes off, your body will rise up and God will reassemble you as effortlessly as he made you and Adam and Eve and everybody else in the first place. A God who created the human race out of nothing will have absolutely no problem reassembling your body and joining it together with your spirit, with your soul. This is what is guaranteed to you by the resurrection of the body. I hope that every man, woman, and kid within the sound of this wonderful experience today is going to find great confidence in believing in the resurrection of the body of Christ and that all of you will fit into what is a painfully small percentage and maybe we can bulk that number up if we do our work in our lifetimes of sharing confidence with our sad and skeptical fellow people in this country and in the world not to be afraid to say that on the third day, he rose again from the dead, not to be afraid to say, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. I believe in the resurrection of the body and I believe in life everlasting. Christ is risen! When we started, we were just a tiny, tiny little organization. In fact, organization is a compliment to our little ragtag group. I will never stop being grateful to this army of people who believed enough in the power of the messages of Time of Grace to continue with their sacrificial gifts.
0: As Pastor Jesky prepares for the next chapter of his life beyond Time of Grace, he reflects on the humble beginnings of the ministry in his new book, When Grace Got Personal where he remembers how God worked through individuals to share the timeless truths of Jesus through time of grace. When you give today, we'll send you this book along with Pastor Mike Novotny's book, The Neglected Spirit, which is about tapping into the power of the Holy Spirit. And when you give $50 or more, we'll say thanks with both of these books, plus Pastor Jesky's books, Straight Talk and More Straight Talk. All four of these books show how God transforms us and then allows his loving grace to flow through us to others. So call now to give and request your special resources. Call 800-661-3311, visit timeofgrace.org, or text TIME to 313131.
1: It was the week after 9-11. We started recording, actually we had recorded a few earlier and those were sort of test recordings. I don't even know if those tapes even exist, they, they were a little rough. Initially the lighting was so bright I felt like I had gotten a suntan and over time we got to adjust them and dial them down a little bit.
0: We grew up like watching, watching this or my dad would be like oh that's, Pastor Jesky, it's like, oh, that's super cool.
1: You know how God works. The messages Pastor Jesky had were awesome.
0: He's easy to understand, he's uplifting, he's very warm and friendly. He's got a very kind way of offering both law and gospel.
1: When we started, we were just a tiny, tiny little organization. In fact, organization is a complement to our little ragtag group. He wasn't one to stand back and not try things and do things. You know, he's willing to, to
0: learn right along with the rest of us.
1: We all knew Pastor Jesky, and he has simply blossomed and grown with that ministry beyond probably his own expectations. my dad has been such a tremendous support uh, in my life especially in my collegiate years but then also during my seminary training I've grown in my respect for my father as someone who is who's done enough ministry work now it's tough for a pastor to get away let alone a televangelist That was always a huge testament when when significant time was carved aside for family. My dad would not be who he is if it weren't for the people that God has richly blessed him with in his life. I played different sports than Pastor Mark. Mark was in the track and I was more baseball and basketball, so we didn't, our lives didn't overlap as much as I would have liked to in sports. But uh, Mark, Mark was always a leader in the four years that I spent with him at Wisconsin Lutheran High School. Just a a tremendous figure that everybody looked up to. Talent, level, off the charts. We didn't go through a process of looking at two or three or four or five people. He was the only person we talked to. Only person, never asked anybody else. I really think this is just hastening that day when we're all gonna finally be gathered together. Satan will be sent to hell forever and we're just gonna live in joy and peace in heaven. I really gotta believe that God is using technology, especially digital technology, to speed up the day of his return, to get the gospel to every corner of the world. And to me, it's, I never get over that. It's still always a wow thing. My heart is really full of gratitude and I'd like to thank people but the list is so long I hardly know where to start. To all of the people who've served without pay, without remuneration, traveling at their own expense on our board of directors, the visionaries and donors and encouragers and people who've brought their business savvy and their brain power and problem solvers. To all of our board members over the years, I want to say thank you. To all of our staff, I won't name any names, you know who you are, but to everybody who's ever been in the time of Grace Office working and plugging away, bringing whatever skill set you have, always so supportive and encouraging of me, I want to say thank you. It's, uh, I've always been terrified that I would lose my nerve and the people who I get to work with, who are the people who behind the scenes make Time of Grace happen, have unflaggingly been encouraging to help me keep my courage up and I could not have done it without you. I want to say thank you. I will never stop being grateful to this army of people who believed enough in the power of the messages of Time of Grace to continue with their sacrificial gifts, to provide the support that we need to buy the airtime and to bring the staff together. Thank you to everybody connected with St. Marcus, my dear church. To my dear children who have to try to live their lives with this notoriety of their TV father. And to my patient and long-suffering and encouraging wife, Carol, who's never once done anything in the slightest to slow me down. Always been encouraging about Time of Grace and its amazing ability to connect with people far and wide. A thank you to my my wonderful family as well. There's a wonderful saying, the past is prologue, meaning we're not coming to the end of a cycle. This is only the beginning. Time of grace is going to go on far past me and I celebrate with you the fact that we have got new energy, new ideas all bubbling up. And the next era of Time of Grace is going to be even bigger and better than the first. The dominant emotions in my heart are not merely backwards-looking or past-oriented. I am profoundly amazed and grateful for what God has done. But the greatest emotions in my heart right now, at this very moment, are my confidence as I look forward that our best days are still to come and God is going to do some even more amazing things through Time of Grace tomorrow.
0: The preceding program was sponsored by the friends and partners of Time of Grace.